It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. And welcome to episode 206 of the Michigan Sports Truth post-game edition on TalkShoe. I'm Taylor Phillips along with Buck, Gino, and Lewis Sinor. How are we doing tonight, gentlemen? We're doing fine. Very good, sir. Yes. All right. Got some um, Michigan Wolverines basketball to recap. They upset the, the 11th-ranked Wisconsin Badgers 64-58 to at Chrysler Center in Ann Arbor. Huge upset. Michigan improves to seventeen and nine and uh seventeen and nine overall and seven and six in the conference. The Badgers only suffer their fifth overall loss and third in the Big Ten, twenty one and five in the ten and three in the Big Ten. Zach Irvin, of all people, <laughs> managed to play well. Came off the milk carton tonight. Yeah, 18 points, 5 rebounds, 38 minutes, 6 of 12 shooting, 2 of 5 from 3. It's not bad. Not quite great, but very good. Mo Wagner, blackjack points, 21, 8 of 14 shooting, 27 minutes. Then you got Muhammad Ali Abdul-Rahman with 12. And uh, Duncan Robinson with six, Derek Walton Jr. with five, and D.J. Wilson with two. That's it. You know, I I don't know if you got to watch the whole game, Taylor. I I really thought that Wisconsin kind of dared Zach Irvin to have a game tonight. They took away Derek Walton, who has been really lights out for the Wolverines in their last three victories. And he's been the catalyst He's been the catalyst, and Greg Gard knew that, so he came out tonight, and Wisconsin always, as a program, plays good defense, and they basically took Derek Walton away, and they dared Zach Irvin to be a big part of that Michigan win, not to take away from what Morris Wagner did, but Zach Irvin, I think, really was the MVP because if they don't get his 18 points, they probably aren't getting it from somebody else. So I think Zach Irvin, in, in one of the, the last home games he'll have as a Wolverine, um, finally came through tonight how most fans, including myself, have wished he would have performed the entire season. Yeah, and Zach Irvin had to step up for Derek Walton, Jr., who was shut down at just five points. He only His only field goal was a three-pointer, but he hit two free throws. He was two out of three. And uh, Zach Zach Gervin uh, was actually was actually there when when usually Zach Gervin usually doesn't step up. He he did tonight. Michigan, you, well, I've, I've, yeah, I, I've felt here the rest. Yeah, I, I felt for probably beginning of last year and into this season that 
Zach Irvin is kind of deferring to Derek Walton Jr. And that's not what Michigan has wanted, but it's what they've gotten. And even though Derek Walton has been up to the task, tonight Wisconsin made Zach Irvin be what he is. Not what not what he can be, because I think he can be a better player, but be what he is, and that's be a complimentary piece to a halfway decent basketball team. I don't think Michigan has any aspersions of national title hopes or you know, even Final Four thoughts if you're a rational Michigan fan. But you know, to get into the NCAA tournament is kind of the benchmark. You have to be able to get into there on a consistent basis with the talent that they have, even though people will say that John Beeline isn't getting the most mileage out of his talent. I think that he's done a, a very good job of kind of dealing with what he's been dealt with this year, and that's Zach Irvin deferring leadership or the alpha dog status, as you will, to, to Derek Walton. And I think that tonight was a, a real example of when one guy – can't produce, whether it be because the defense or he has an off night, somebody else has to step up. That's what Michigan is. Michigan doesn't have that number one guy. They can look in the face every night and say, you got to go get us 25 and 10, and we're going to rally around you, and you're going to be the guy. Michigan doesn't have that person. But when they play as a complementary unit, Wagner producing a lot of offense in the beeline scheme, which for big men that are mobile is, is key, and you have a guard that can hit from outside and, and really keep the defense honest and keep them off a guy like Wagner, then you're going to have a winning result or at least a very good result as long as your defense comes to play. And I think tonight was a pure example of that now you take into consideration that Wisconsin didn't have Bronson Koenig, and that was a big blow for them. But you got to play the schedule as it comes. And Wisconsin went into Chrysler Arena tonight knowing that they had a fight on their hands because Michigan, uh, the hungrier team as far as position, Wisconsin's got their ticket punched. It's just going to matter of where they fall. On the other side of the ledger, you've got Michigan, who really needs pretty much every win they can get their hands on with the resume that they have. And I thought tonight that Wisconsin did what they normally do. Um, they they played just as they normally did. Um they just didn't have Bronson Koenig tonight, but Michigan had a good effort. And with Zach Irvin stepping up for once, as you said, um, they were able to come away with the victory. The key is going to be now that that blueprint is there for other teams, what is Michigan going to do? Because you can't rely on Derek Walton to win you five or six more games. Other guys have to step up. And maybe it's not Zach Irvin. Maybe it's Abdur Rahman. Maybe it's Wagner hitting for 26 instead of 21. There's got to be a formula for them, and it's going to be a consistent change from game to game. But if they can find that equation, I think they'll have a nice run as they, as we head into March. So uh, first question, with uh, Zach Irvin finally stepping up and uh, Derek, Derek Walton uh, just having an off night, can Zach Irvin – yeah, two questions in one. Can Zach Irvin keep up his uh, – it keeps stepping up for the Michigan Wolverines, and can Derek Walton get back it, get back into his groove, get back his groove? And, and can they both work together at, as one? Can they both step up in the same game in their next game, for example, at Minnesota, 
against the Golden Gophers Sunday at 7 on BTN? Boy, you know, that's that's a good question, or questions, actually. And it's I think back to 2013 when they made the run to the finals. You look at that backcourt, and again, it was all complementary pieces. I mean, yeah, they have Trey Burke, and they had Mitch McGarry, who finally emerged in his freshman year, decided to do it in the tournament. And you had Tim Hardaway Jr., and you had, you know, you had a real solid cast there. But you had guys stepping up and, and complimenting each other. But can they both get to a high level, or can two guys get to a high level at the same time and be successful? And I think that's the real major key for a, a John Beeline structured team where it's not really picking one guy or the other, it's who's hot now versus who's going to be hot later. And who do, who do we just keep going to? Do we go to one guy or do we just keep spreading it around and finding out who's got the, the best or the hot hand or who's got the, the best matchup of that night? And whether whether Zach Irvin and Derek Walton can, can come together, um, that remains to be seen. If they can really work together and really have a big night in the backcourt, that remains to be seen. But, you know, I would really like to see them try it because I think that Minnesota – poses a big problem for them with interior defense. I think Minnesota perimeter-wise may not be your strongest candidate for, for defense, but if you look at their interior defense, they're going to punish you. You know, I watched them play the first conference game of the year against Michigan State when Michigan State was able to prevail in overtime, and that was a dogfight. I mean, that was inside, and those are two teams that like to play in the painted area. And and Michigan going in there with Moritz Wagner and DJ Wilson. I mean, I'm not real thrilled about those prospects of them going down low for 40 minutes against the Golden Gophers defense. So I think that you have a very good point in can they do it against Minnesota? Because I think that's going to be the formula for their success. Oh, yeah. Wolverines have won, have now won three straight, and the Badgers have now lost two straight. Where does question now is where does that take the Badgers in the top twenty-five? That's my question. How many guesses? You know, you, you, you discount the fact that they didn't have a top player on their team. They're playing a road game in the Big Ten. Um, you know, those are points for them, points against them. That's a team that maybe they should beat without their without a good player like Bronson Koenig. You know, and then you have to look at what happens around that. I, I don't think they fall too far. I think maybe for them, probably, you know, maybe a 16 would be good for them. And it also is going to play out this weekend, too, what happens, because if Michigan goes and, and loses to Minnesota, now that's going to hurt Wisconsin. So I, it, there's always those moving pieces, and I think that it, it's kind of a TBD to be determined. But if I'm if I'm voting in, I'm thinking Wisconsin doesn't have to fall that far based on what Michigan's been able to do to other ranked teams at home, or at least other conference foes at home. Michigan goes on the road to play Minnesota and then Rutgers on Wednesday at 4 on ESPN2. Wednesday is 
George Washington's birthday. We can't tell a lie. Right. Well, I mean, Rutgers is almost a gimme. So, I mean, if you're Michigan, you're really looking forward to this game against Minnesota. And, uh, you know, if they can get the, if they can pull this one off against Minnesota, that puts them at 18 and 9. Rutgers is as close to a foregone conclusion as you can get. So that's 19 and 9. And if they can that's get to that, you know, if they can get to the, if they can get to that 20 win plateau, I mean, there's going to be some teams with multiple loss or double digit losses that are going to be in the running for at large bids this year. And if you can get to 20 wins, more off, or more than than a lot of years, that's going to count for something. I mean, you still have to have the the strength of schedule and the body of work and all that those buzzwords that they like to put in. But you know that twenty win plateau is going to be a little bit more rarefied this year. And I think that if Michigan can get there, even if it takes the Big Ten tournament, um, you know they're you're going to put themselves in a better position than a lot of teams are going to have. Minnesota is actually a tough team, um, especially at home. The Golden Gophers are 19 and 7 and 7 and 6 in the Big Ten. Just like Michigan is, uh, the Golden Gophers have won four straight after losing five straight. Golden Gophers have have uh, had a, had quite a good year. Uh, they they've struggled at times, but um, they've they've uh, got at least a few uh, road wins. That, and of course, they've got a lot of uh, got a lot of uh, wins at home, including that the last one, seventy five seventy four over Indiana at Williams Arena. They they beat Ohio State 78-68 at Williams Arena on January 8th. They also beat Iowa 101-89 at home. I'm just uh, counting the uh, Big Ten wins at home. They've got three thus far. So um, Michigan's Michigan's up for a for a test against the Gophers. Well, you you look at that, you know, Taylor, and you talk about the, the, the plays at home. I mean, it's, it's not nicknamed the barn because it's a fun place to play. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nicknamed the Byron. It's the oldest building in the Big Ten by a landslide. And I can hardly hear you. Oh, sorry about that. It's, it's really got uh, everything a college basketball player doesn't want to have to deal with. And you know, I think for the true home court advantages, also has got one of the last remaining ones in college basketball. And, Chills, 
All right. Well, that that clears up um, the Michigan Wolverines for tonight. So um, let's talk about uh, what happened between uh, Tom Izzo and Dan Dockage. On February 8th, Dan Dockage sent a tweet to uh, a few Spartan fans, and and, uh, they brought up Michigan, and and, uh, that one tweet was uh, unprofessional. Yeah, I mean, calling into the calling into character the admission standards or, or whatever it was that he was really trying to drive at there. I mean, there's playful banter and then there's that. I mean, I'm a self-proclaimed Michigan fan, and I think this whole situation, number one, has been overblown a little bit, but number two, really brought on by just Dan Dockett's trying to, to gain the ire of Michigan State fans. And, for I mean, he's going to be covering the games – he had Michigan State, Ohio State. He's going to have Michigan State, Purdue. I mean, really a poor attempt, I think, by him to drive some conversation about those games and, and bring attention to himself. He would have been better served not to have done that. On the flip side, I think that Tom Izzo has a right to be upset. But he's got bigger fish to fry. He's got an NCAA berth that his team is trying to get to, and he doesn't have time to discuss why an ESPN analyst who used to be a head coach in the Big Ten for about 10 seconds. Also a Right. I mean, is, is, is tweeting about them and, and doing those things and, and, and bringing up these these topics. So I think that he, he put it to bed. He gave, he gave Dockage both barrels after the Ohio State game, and I think that's where we're at. Is He doesn't really need to, to go any further, but – it's a shame that somebody like Dan Dockage, whose son goes to Michigan, many people might not know that because he barely plays, but he does go to Michigan. And for him to, to come across with a blast to a rival, especially with what's going on, you know, people are a little bit sensitive with, with what's going on with the investigation of the football team and some other things going on there. People aren't in the mood for it. And it was just kind of a tone-deaf statement by Dockich. And I think he probably, I hope at least he regrets it. But at the same time, you know, it's it's something that he shouldn't have done. He, he's gotten his comeuppance or he's gotten his, he's gotten his punishment or whatever is going to happen. And I think at this point Michigan State has to concentrate on Purdue and Caleb Swanigan more than what Dan Dockich is tweeting about their student body. Yeah, and Tom Izzo retaliated in the, pre- the uh, post-game press conference after the Spartans beat the uh, Ohio State Buckeyes 74-66 at Breslin Center two nights ago. And uh, and Dan Dockage uh, owes an apology to, to uh, his fans, which he do- and he does too. And, th- and then yesterday, Dan Dockage. Uh, a fake apology by not saying sorry. He said he, he, he tweeted out he has unreal respect for Izzo, Sparty, and its fans. Look, looking forward to the conversation, but he never apologized. And uh, no, and, and the thing is, I don't think he will. That's because he used to. That's because right. he was doing. That's still rude. 
and, and I think it was totally, you know, ESPN's call too. I mean, his employer right now, they're caught in a, between a rock and a hard place because if they make him do something, you know, I mean, I've got two kids. If you make somebody apologize to somebody else, it's not heartfelt. It's not something that you thought of on your own. And in the same vein, they've got a guy who's going off half-cocked on a team that they cover in a conference that they have a very nice, lucrative contract with, and you've got somebody that's making waves. And now, again, we don't want to make it any bigger than it is because I don't think Dan Dock is just going to cause ESPN to lose a Big Ten basketball contract, but... I do think that they need to to at least talk to him and say, "Hey, look, you know, you whatever it is that you're doing, you got to stop." And we've got to, you know, we got to figure this out because Purdue is the last ESPN game or uh, big ESPN game that that Michigan State has. The next one after that is Nebraska, and that'll be on ESPNU. I doubt Dan Dockage will be on the call for that. And the next three are either Big Ten or CBS games, so. I mean, Dan Dockage has got to make it through Saturday. And then he's kind of done with Michigan State until next season. And I think that for for him, he's really got to look at why he did what he did. And for Michigan State, I think that it's really kind of distracting them from their mission at hand, which is they've got games against Purdue, Wisconsin, and Maryland in their last five, and they're sitting at 16 and 10. You know, you go into the Big Ten tournament at 18 and 13, if everything were to play out odds-wise, you lose three. You lose those games against Purdue, Wisconsin, and Maryland and win against Nebraska and Illinois. You're going in at 18 and 13, and you're going to have to do better than that probably to get into the NCAA tournament with the way it's going, regardless of who they played regardless of the, the Arizonas, the Kentuckys, the Baylor, and the Duke. I mean, those were all games that they lost. So you can say about playing tough opponents all you want during the regular – or sorry, during the non-conference season, but you can't be losing all of them and expect to get into the Big Ten or the uh, NCAA tournament. So if you're Michigan State, like I said before, Tom Izzo cleared his plate said what had to be said, and I think they kind of leave this alone from here on out because they've got this, this last five-game stretch is going to be key to how their their rest of their season plays out. And, you know, we talk about playoff streaks. Well, Michigan State's got a streak of his own. And Tom Izzo's got to, to make sure, he, you know, if he wants to keep it alive, he's got to have a, a day against at least Purdue or Wisconsin um, because I think going to Maryland will be a tough task for the, for the Spartans. I think they have a, a better than even shot against Wisconsin at home. So I think that they've got a, some work to do, and I think that this is just distracting from them being able to do that work. So as many fans want to be upset and people on social media are all, all over Dan Dockage and what happened, really distracting away from the main point, and that's Michigan State right now squarely on the bubble and not a place that they're used to being in. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think uh, if Dan Kipdock is still not going to apologize and delete the rest of his tweets about Sparty whining, then he he should have to get his sorry ass fired. Well, and that may—I mean, it may come down to that. I mean, I mean, it's—it's one of those things where you—you just can't do that. I mean, if it'd be one thing if he was an NFL commentator on ESPN making those type of comments, because he doesn't have to face the music, he doesn't have to go to those games and be around those people. But Dan Dockett is right in the center of it. I mean, he's a prominent college basketball analyst on ESPN and. Michigan State and college basketball is a brand, and they're going to be on the big network more often than not. So, you know, he's he's really put himself in a tight spot. You know, firing. I don't know if ESPN is going to go that far, but if he's not going to if he's not going to apologize, I mean, it's not going to make it any better. And if you look at what's going to happen next season, ESPN can't just say, "Well, Dan, you don't have to do the Michigan State games," because if you look at the ESPN schedule this year. Um, or if you look at Michigan State's schedule, I should say, ESPN's on there quite a bit. And he's going to run into them again. So it's an interesting situation that's going to play out. But, again, I think it's taken away from, unfortunately, what Michigan State has to do, and that's win some basketball games here down the stretch and keep that streak of NCAA tournament burst alive. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about about the uh, Pistons here. They uh, get a get a big win over the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, they, they blow a sixty-two thirty-five lead, but um, <laughs> they hang on ninety-eight ninety-one. The, the Mavericks just took over the. The last, the last half of the third quarter, and um, the Pistons uh, try, try to give the Mavericks the game, but the Mavericks but, didn't want it. No, Mavericks didn't want it, and I think that's kind of how the Mavericks season has gone um, for them in the Western Conference now. Twelve games under five hundred in the Pistons. They did enough to get themselves to win. And it's a win is a win. They're at 27 and 30. And, you know, it, it, when you look at the Pistons winning that game, some other things that are surrounding the team that people really haven't talked about too much um, because they're they're heading towards the playoffs. Um, a report, or a, uh, in, a, in an article, I should say, by Bleacher Report um, coming out, yesterday that uh, the Pistons are what he would call exploring the trade value of Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson. And I think that they were probably disappointed in what they were getting in return, or at least what would be hypothetically sent in return for Andre Drummond, who they feel is a franchise player or at least a a cornerstone of of their franchise. It may not be for somebody else, Um, but you know, they, they were kind of disappointed of what the value was for those guys. And I think it goes to, to show that the Pistons right now, if they're exploring trade options for Drummond and Jackson, who are max players, 
they look at KCP, who's up for a contract this summer. You know, you're, again, you're talking about assets that you have to keep and assets that you can afford to give away. And the consensus is, and I don't know if I really agree with it, but that KCP is expendable due to the fact that he's probably going to pick up max money, whether it be from Tom Gore's checkbook or from somebody else's. And while that'd be a crushing blow to lose him for nothing, um, you know, the Pistons are really exploring trying to move some space because they, I don't think they're going to be able to keep three to four max contracts in there and field a competitive team. So I think that where there's smoke, there's fire. I think the Pistons are trying to find out ways to get some flexibility in the roster with some big contracts coming up. And you've got uh, Tobias Harris coming up in the next year or two as well. And a lot of people think he's going to get max money. So uh, you look at that roster and where they're at, in the conference as well as talent-wise overall, uh, it's good to know what your guys are worth, but I think they're getting some significantly lower returns than they thought they would based on the fact that a lot of people know that they're trying to move them to make room for another max player. So it would be interesting to see. Like I said this last time I was on, it's going to be an interesting and dicey situation for the Pistons because – I think if they don't make the playoffs, it shows a regression. But at the same time, they're going to have to gear up for next season because the East isn't going to get any worse. And right now they're at the bottom half, the bottom third of the East. And to get out from under that, they're going to have to make significant changes or guys are going to have to get significantly better. And I don't think they have that ability. So it'll be a very cautious and – treacherous next couple weeks here as we approach the trade deadline for the Pistons because they're getting hot right now. They're starting to gel. They're starting to play better. Granted, they're playing some teams that aren't so good, but they're really making their way towards the playoff spot. And are they willing to to give that up to, to set up for the future by moving some pieces around so they can put everybody under a salary cap and not have to play pay luxury tax money? Yeah, and um, the article said that article headline that the Pistons were exploring exploring trade options involving Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson, and um, and, and uh, if they trade Andre Drummond away, that that does take away the uh, double doubles, the the points and the rebounds, but it does also take away the missed free throws that the Pistons had to go through all year long. Also, the, the arrogance of Reggie Jackson continuing, even <coughs> or well, as usual. And and uh, when he re- and and if you recall, when he returned to the lineup from his injury. Um, he hurt the team with with his arrogance because because uh, he said they uh, they didn't give him the ball much and um, they started taking more losses before back on the back getting back to their winning ways. Well, there's a saying that winning cures all, and 
I think in this case for Reggie Jackson, we haven't heard as much from him. Not that Stan Van Gundy forgot about it, but when they're winning, regardless of how they're doing it, it, it tends to make things go to the back of the bus rather than the front, and I think that's just the case here. I think Reggie Jackson isn't the best fit for what the Pistons are trying to do. They thought he was, but he has struggled um, since last year. I mean, he, he averaged 18.8 points in six and a quarter assists a game last year. I mean, out of your point guard, yeah, you'd like some more assists, but, I mean, you're not talking about a pure number one or point guard position player. And I think that they were really hoping for a big jump for him in the hit it this year, and instead they had a regression and some disappointment from, from them, and they, they dipped their toe in the water and found out what his value was before this article came out. I mean, there was some, some trade rumors about him and uh, Ricky Rubio you know, a month and a half ago now, and that kind of gave him, you know, I mean, he, he had been kind of just kind of moseying along the season, not really doing a whole lot. And then as soon as that trade rumor came out, amazingly enough, he got better. So I think they pushed the right button there, whether it be by design or by accident. And uh, he's returned to at least a semblance of, of what he had going on last year. And that's what they need from him. If they want to be successful and maybe pull off an upset or at least make somebody real uncomfortable in the first round. Because without him, Ish Smith's a nice complimentary piece, but he cannot be your go-to starting point guard if you're going to be a playoff team that's going to do anything. Well, uh, Ricky Rubio reached a career, had reached a career low before that trade rumor uh, was brought up. 7.9 points per game, but 8.7 assists per game. That, that, I think that's what I remember. Um, Um, but uh, he does uh, average quite a few assists per game. But uh, but uh, Ricky Rubio is is better than that in points, better than that this year in points per game. But um, I I just don't I just didn't uh, Stan Van Gundy didn't didn't think uh, Ricky Rubio was worth it. No, I, I don't think he did that either. I, I, I really think that when it, <clears throat> the message that I would receive from there, and again, I'm not there, and I'm sure as heck not an NBA point guard, but if I'm looking at that trade, if I'm Reggie Jackson, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, I can score way better than this guy. I mean, I, 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 will sc- I double his point output, but he does distribute the basketball well, and I think that's Dan Van Gundy's point again, whether it be by accident or by design, was that Ricky Rubio, yeah, he may not be a scorer, but he's going to distribute the basketball and make us a very good offensive basketball team by spreading the ball around instead of doing what Reggie Jackson does, which is run down, wait for everybody to do a screen or whatever it is they got to do, and then jack up a 20-footer. Because too many possessions like that for the Pistons end that way. And if he's not hitting, Reggie Jackson not hitting, 
their offense really starts to stagnate. And you can usually count on it if you watch the games close enough. Watch for a couple of those possessions, especially back-to-back, where Reggie Jackson comes down, doesn't really run the offense. He lets it go. He lets the offense actually move, but he really doesn't run the offense. And then he ends up with a crazy shot or a bad pass. Something happens, and you watch one or two sloppy possessions in a row, and Ish Smith's right off the bench. Warm-up's off, shirt off, and Reggie Jackson's coming out. CNN Gunny isn't wasting any time with Reggie Jackson, and he has been going to the bench more for the, the backcourt, especially in this month, um, just because I think that he knows he's got to have that from his back end because they're not going to be as successful as a ISO team. They don't have an ISO guy. And they have to play a, a little bit more diverse brand of basketball. And if they're able to do it, then they can be successful. But when Reggie Jackson goes out there and thinks that He's going to go get his, and it quickly ends. And then Ishmith comes in, and they start to at least run the offense or do a little bit more of what Stan Van Gundy wants them to do with the basketball. Well, uh, we're going to see what what goes on down the road for uh, Drummond and Reggie Jackson and the rest of the Pistons uh, team. Pistons also uh, looking forward. Hopefully, uh, the Pistons are looking forward to trading Aaron Baines and keeping Boban Marjanovic. See him get yeah. more. See him get some more playing time. Yeah, I mean Aaron Baines has really played well in this last stretch as well, upping his value from wherever it was. It's hard to gauge the value of somebody like an Aaron Baines trade-wise because he's not a guy that is going to do a whole lot for your team on the I mean on the surface he's just he's your backup center that may swipe you some boards and, and get you a couple points while your main guy's out but you know as we as we've seen him in, in some later games especially in the last four or five he's really come out and I think that he's motivated Drummond you know and I talk about pushing buttons and coming together I think Stephen Gunny's done a really nice job of using his bench to motivate his starters. And what I mean by that is he's not been afraid to go to the bench, especially early in games. And and we talked about it during one of the broadcasts that uh, I think it was the New Orleans game that we talked about. I mean, the backcourt for the Pistons, John Lewer played 17 minutes and Reggie Jackson played 20 minutes that night. Ish Smith came out and played 24. And... They spread the other minutes around because KCP went for a career high. But, uh, you know, Stan Van Gunny is not going to stand around and let whoever his starters are deemed to be to go out there and coast. And I think that he's been able to, to manipulate this team from where it was a month ago to a, a little bit better overall product and Aaron Baines is a part of that and you look at the trade value of that guy versus what you're able to do with him on your team I mean yeah he's he's not going to give you much but he's going to do something to to motivate your starters to get get it in gear I think that's where his value is going to come from is from maybe a team that 
can use a backup center that could get their guy that currently isn't doing anything or isn't trying as hard because there's nobody behind him that gives a damn. Um, getting somebody in there that will make some some waves and, and do something to to get the the starters back online. Now, uh, Gustav Nyquist of the Red Wings, the left winger, uh, received a finally received a team suspension late last afternoon, late yesterday afternoon, now Wednesday afternoon. Um, it is week, uh, hours and hours and hours for his phone hearing. Uh, he, he slashed uh, Jared Spurge on, on Sunday at XL Energy Center in the 6-3 loss to the Wild. Uh, you know, the NHL uh, Department of Player Safety was a little bit too soft, except, except they understood that Gustav Nyquist was now a first-time offender after that vicious slash. It, it still could have been a 10-game suspension, but not quite 20, because um, he's not he's not a repeat offender. Well, it was a tough situation for for both he and the player safety board because on one hand you have a really dangerous play, and no matter what Jeff Blashill says about optics. And no matter what anybody says about what it looks like, it was a dangerous play. And there's not room for that in hockey. I think when you when you watch the actual live game footage at full speed, I think that when Spurgeon checks Nyquist from behind to start the whole process of, of what happened, Nyquist turned around and had the intent to give something back to Spurgeon. It's pretty obvious he had the intent to do that. The difference lies in where he thought Spurgeon was. I think he thought Spurgeon was much closer and that he was going to basically turn her off the stick, jam it into his chest, and basically send a message that way. Instead, Spurgeon had backed off, and because Nyquist had turned around with the angle the stick was coming, he got Spurgeon in the face. It does not excuse at all what happened. But it gives an explanation. And I think that player safety took that and ran with it. And they said, well, he's a first-time offender, number one. Number two, I don't think that he meant what happened. He didn't do it with the intent of high-sticking Jared Spurgeon in the face. He did it with the intent of getting him back for a play that probably happens on a hockey in a hockey game multiple times, but still not any more fun to get pushed down from behind. And the third thing in his favor, I think, that got him the six instead of a 10 or maybe 15, was that Spurgeon came back to play in the game. I think all of those factors combined gave him what he got, which is the six-game suspension. And I think the league... A lot of people were very critical of it, but I think they got the point across, and that was it doesn't matter if you're a first-time offender or not. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do or not. You've got to be aware of where you're at in the ice. You can't be doing those things. That's but, at the same, but at the same time, we realize that 
You're not that type of player, and we don't think you're going to do it again. Because now for Gus Nyquist, if something happens, now player safety has to look at it and go, well, gee, did he learn his lesson last time? And they take every case in its own individual atmosphere, I guess I'll say. And I think that they made a good call. I won't say the right call because I think they could have get he could have gotten ten very easily, and nobody would have batted an eyelash. But he got his six. When he got his six, he'll serve it, and chances are he probably won't do it again. On the flip side, you look at what that does to the Red Wings. They lose, even though he's not a consistent. Or I'm sorry, even though he's not a prolific producer of points. He is one of their more consistent ones, at least five on five. And they lose a guy like that. You lose a guy. You lose Jonathan Erickson to injury a week ago. I mean, it's not getting any better. Guys are getting hurt. Guys are coming back and then getting hurt. Or guys are coming back and trying to work their way back into the lineup. It's not there. They're going to miss the playoffs. And this this delusion that the Red Wings have of trying to do what they have to do, I mean, at this point, you're in last place in the Eastern Conference. You are 25 games or less, depending on what your schedule is, from the end of the season. The rate that Detroit would have to win games at this point is beyond all realm of possibility. Plus, 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 you'll have to have all the other teams in front of you go down the toilet, and you have to be that good. They have a less than 1% chance of making the playoffs. If If there was ever a time for Ken Holland to say, you know what, we gave it our best. We this owing things to the veterans or whatever crap can go down the window. Play the kids. Find out where you're at. You're not going to get any better. You certainly aren't going to get much worse because you're going to have to have Arizona and Colorado pass you. So if I'm Detroit right now, I'm thinking, gee, we play the kids. We're probably going to get the third third pick or fourth pick because, again, Las Vegas is guaranteed at least the third, but we're going to get a fourth spot lottery that we might be able to parlay into a first or second pick if one of the ping pong balls or whatever they use falls right. And Nyquist suspension is just another dagger in the chances of Detroit even entertaining a thought of getting into the playoffs in, for a 26th straight year. And I've, and, and, and I've said it many times, I'm not going to beat that dead horse. There is no way that this team is getting to the playoffs. There is no way that they're going to get magically better in the next 25 games. There's also no way that these other teams are magically going to get worse. And you, you, you know, if you look at teams, Montreal fired their coach. Michelle Therrien fired again in favor of Carl Julien. Again, it happened in 2003, and it happened in 2017. Um, Montreal is in the playoffs right now. That is the fourth coach 
that has a better record than Jeff Blashill that got dusted this year in the Eastern Conference. I'm not proposing that they fire Blashill now because it's not going to make a lot of difference. I think you just let him finish the year out and see where the chips fall. That said, there are four teams that are ahead of you in the standings and were ahead of you at the time that they fired their coach. What's the problem? Is it your coach? I'll tell you what the real problem is. Ken Holland, the general manager, staying the fucking course. Well, of course, we, we're in agreement that, I mean, the roster is a complete train wreck. You know, and, and I'm sitting there watching last night. They did a very nice tribute to Mike Illich, the late owner of the Detroit Red Wings, who passed away last week. Yeah. And they come out, and they absolutely puke all over their shoes. Goal okay. goes in the first shot of the game. And at that point, I mean, th- there's nothing left. That team is a beaten team. They got down one nothing to St. Louis. They might as well have been down ten nothing. Because yeah, the way they down, the way they, they lost two nothing. Yeah, the way they played, they might as well have been down twenty to nothing because that's the that's how they play. They play scared. They play cautious. They play not to lose. They don't take chances. I mean, I grew up with the Red Wings team that didn't care about taking chances because they knew they had support on the ice, no matter who was out there. Now, they weren't taking stupid chances, but they were playing within themselves in a a high-confidence level. This team doesn't have that. And it starts with who is on the bench when the game starts. Because if you can't trust the guys on the bench, who are you going to trust? to go out there and do their job. And Ken Holland has done a terrible job of constructing the roster. They've beaten it over, beaten this dead horse over and over again. They're in a bad spot. They can't get any better without some help, and nobody's going to give them any help that I can foresee. They're going to have to either buy guys out or they're going to have to let them play out the contract and hope that they do something better than what they're doing now. Justin Advocator hasn't scored in 39 games. No, he's getting he's getting he's getting paid seven million dollars. I'm sorry, he's getting paid um, over four million dollars a year. Wow. You know, I mean, Riley Sheehan still doesn't have a goal. Zero goals and eight assists. And again, people are entitled to bad days, weeks, whatever you want to talk about. But the point is that they grossly overestimated what what, what their roster was going to be able to do. For the past few years, yeah. Right, and they, and they have no way of getting out of it. It sickened me last night. I shouldn't say sickened. It made me upset. When you hear somebody like Pierre Maguire, who's an idiot, talk like an idiot and saying that Ken Howen has an eye for talent. Number one, he doesn't have an eye for talent. Usually finds him. That's the past. And uh, it wasn't even the past. He didn't make decisions on guys like Nick Lindstrom and Sergei Fedorov. I I read some interesting posts on Twitter. You go to the Jeff Moss DSR 
on the Detroit Sport Drag. He doesn't do many articles anymore, but he's pretty active on Twitter. Look at the guys that they draft in the first round. Western Hockey League. Where did Ken Hound come from? Oh, the Western Hockey League. Where did he start scouting? Oh, the Western Hockey League. There's a very strong correlation between the Western Hockey League and the guys they have on this roster. Darren Helms, Western Hockey League alum. You could keep going on down the line. It's either NCAA guys or Western Hockey League guys or you're Swedish. That's about what it is. And, I mean, you know, discounting Anthony Mantis' performance in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League when he got over a point a game in that league. Yeah. Which, I mean, guys like guys like Sidney Crosby were having those types of years. What about Andreas Athanasiu? Yeah, playing in the Ontario Hockey League for the for the Barry Colts. Now, he, you know, he didn't light up the AHL. Well, neither did a lot of guys on your roster. What does that have to do with anything? It doesn't. So it's, it's back to the flawed logic. It's back to the same old things. They're just not good. And, I, and I'm, I've been a Red Wings fan. I can remember watching, the first time I watched them that I can remember was back in the days when they were losing the Campbell Conference Finals to, to Edmonton, 87 and 88. This is the worst team I've seen. They don't have any plan. They don't have any continuity. And yet injuries have some part to do with that, but you can't lean on that as an excuse because other teams have injuries too. And through some miracle, they have a well-stocked farm club with guys that could step in and play at a replacement level. They refuse to do it. So... I don't want to keep harping on this point because I think it's something that has been said over and over and everybody realized it, but he was that good. Well, let the young kids play. You've got nothing to lose. You're not going to get any worse than, than Arizona. You're probably not going to get much better than teams like Carolina and Buffalo. Go for that third spot. And if the kids surprise you and actually start playing well, it's a bonus. They get some confidence. Going into next year into a new building, it can mean a lot. But instead, like you said, staying the course, all these other tired cliches that we have to hear, it's not working. And I think it would be more of a, a victory if Ken Howard admitted it than if they were to somehow get hot and and do something to get close to the playoffs. They're they're nowhere close to the playoffs right now. They're they're nine points back of the second and final wild card spot where the Maple Leafs are. They have sixty three points. The Wings have fifty four. The Wings uh, are tied with the Dallas Stars in points, for the fourth worst in the NHL. The Stars just have. Uh, Two more regulation losses than, than the Wings do. That's why the Stars are the third worst right now before the Arizona Coyotes and the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, and then and they're 6-0 in the shootout this year. Just think if they were as bad as they have been. I know. They're, they're uh, second to last in goal differential in the conference. And... 
they they can't score. I mean, they've got 141 goals on, in 57 games. I mean, there were when I was when I was back watching the Wings in their heyday, there were weeks they had 141 goals. It felt like they're just not a potent team. They've built around this facade of defense first, and you know we're going to play a careful game. That's not the Red Wings that we know. At least most of the fans that have been watching them for a long time have come to know. And that's that's really where I kind of stand on it. This isn't the team that we're used to seeing. And wholesale changes are needed. You okay? Yeah, I'm okay. The Gatorade went down the wrong pipe. But uh, they're going to have to really evaluate where they're at heading into both the expansion draft and the trade deadline. I mean, I mean, if, if, if being in the last place isn't going to make you sell, I don't know what is. Yeah, you got to sell, regardless. You're not, you're not that, you're not that close to the playoffs as of today, and uh, you, and uh, you've got nothing to, nothing to lose now. So you might as well just sell. Well, you look at the teams that have. Okay, so I mentioned the teams that have been fired had fired their coaches. Yep. Florida, Florida is three points out of a playoff spot. They're mm-hmm. kind of treading. They're kind of treading water, but they've they've improved under their time rail. The Islanders, as soon as they fired Jack Capuano and put Doug Wade at the helm, have been on fire. Since he's taken yeah, they're only one point back. Only one point back. And they've got the same amount of games played as, as Toronto. And then you've got Montreal, who is first in the division. Yeah. Firing their coach. Shades of 2000 when the Devils fired Jacques Lemaire and went with Larry Robinson. And, and Boston. And then Boston, yeah, they've been who... they a slump, but they still lead the Atlantic division. Yeah, they're 6-12 and, and 4, I believe, in their last um, 22 games or something like I saw a stat like that. 6-12 and 2 or 6-12 and 4 or something like that. And 3-6 and 1 in their last 10. Yep. And I mean, Michelle Therrien really, I mean, he, he they start out hot and they fade. That's been their MO. And they just, they, they know it's coming so they're trying to head it off to the pass. Boston's third in the division right now. They fired Claude Julien, who's now the head coach of Montreal. And, I mean, they just, you look at those teams that are getting rid of head coaches. They're, that's preventative measures. Detroit's not doing anything preventative. They're trying to add on to something that is a, is, is a faulty logic and is a flawed team. They're trying to find ways to work with what they have, and what they have isn't good enough. And if that's not a motivator to sell, I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what is. That's the whole story, folks. So, let's see what we get. See what else we got here. Uh, Jim Harbaugh trolls Paul. Finnebaum for calling him a cheater for hiring the father 
of a top-rated recruit. Hashtag alternative, alternative facts. Uh, let's see. Also, oh, oh, Darko, uh, uh, Justin Sparrow uh, had a periscope with his uh, fantasy baseball league draft drawing. Michigan, Michigan to build a $21 million weight room for, for their football program. Well, you forgot the, uh, the old pitchers and catchers have reported. Yeah. Spring, spring training games are going to start in the next 10 days. Yeah, pitchers and catchers reported two days ago. The uh, yes. spring, Their first spring training is going to be in a week now. Uh, also, the Lions have finally informed quarterback Jan Orlovsky that quarterback Jake Rudock will take over the backup duties. Thank God. Also, Michigan State Police requests arrest warrants for three players after investigation into sexual assault claim. And the Lions, back to the Lions here, they began a $100 million renovation to Ford Field, which will be expected to be completed for the 2017 NFL again. So, well, they made the now. Well, I mean, it's, I think it's a, it's a move they, they needed to make. Um, you know, we talked about that in prior episodes that Jake Rudock is probably a superior quarterback in skill to Dan Orlowski by any stretch of the imagination or any measure of ability. And he's going to be cheaper than any veteran they pick up for the minimum. So what good does it do you to leave him around? Um, you know, they have to pool the resources here because they expect to be showing out a big check for Matt Stafford. And, uh, you know, making improvements to, to Ford Field, another thing that was mentioned about that is they're hoping to get another Super Bowl in the near future. So not only are they looking at the home team, but they're also hoping that spending that $100 million will be able to get some return on investment by hosting another Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Well, the Lions have to earn it first. It's got to be a long, long way, long, long, a long, long way back up. And, and uh, they want it, if they want to finish the NFL... If they want to make the Super Bowl, I'd, I'd suggest they best finish a lot stronger than they had in two of the last three seasons. So that, that's uh, all the uh, that's all the sports headlines and uh, the coverage for tonight. Now it's time for Lewis Tenor for.
score standings and headlines from around the entire sports world. Well, let's take it away. I'd be glad to. Okay, a light night in the NBA as we finish up the first half of the season here. The Wizards over the Pacers won 11-98. Otto Porter Jr. had 25 points, 8 rebounds, and 2 assists. And Miles Turner had 17 points, 9 rebounds, and 1 assist. Bulls edged the Celtics 104-103 in a last-second effort. Isaiah Thomas, 29 points, 7 assists, and 3 rebounds. Jimmy Butler, 29 points, 7 assists, and 4 rebounds. Uh, I'm just trying to see if I can get anything on a side note here with that. And, like, it wasn't a foul or not. Before Jimmy Butler runs the clock, before, result, before releasing his shot, Marcus Smart was called for a foul for grazing his elbow. Butler makes both free throws to give the Bulls the win. Foul or not a foul? That is the question. Um, Isaiah Thomas scores to extend his streak of consecutive games of at least 20 or more points to 41, surpassing, wow, surpassing a legend here, John Havlicek, most in Celtics history. Wow. Yeah, and that wasn't NBA, but Havlicek at least stole the ball. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> Had to do that. Okay, now for the uh, now for the standings. My computer will cooperate yet. Ah, here we go. And the standings go this way. Cleveland still in front uh, with thirty-nine and sixteen, a three-game lead over Boston, thirty-seven and twenty. Washington is five back at thirty-four and twenty-one. Raptors are 33 and 24, seven back, seven and a half back. Are the Hawks at 32 and 24? Uh, Pacers 29 and 28, 11 back. Bulls 28 and 29, 12 back, and Detroit is 13 back at 27 and 30. All right, further down the list we go. Bucks are 25 and 30, 14 back. At 15 back are the Miami Heat at 25 and 32. 15 back, uh, 15 and a half back, excuse me, are the Hornets at 24 and 32. Knicks are 23 and 34, 17 back after last night's loss. Um, at 21 and 35, the Sixers are 18 and a half back. Tragic, I mean Magic, are 21 and 37, 19 and a half back. And the Nets are disgusting, 9 and 47, 30 and a half back. I want to throw up. The West. On the flip side of that, Warriors are 47 and 9, as opposed to that's 9 47. Spurs <laughs> um, are 4 back at 43 and 13. Rockets, 40 and 18, 8 back. Clippers are 12 back at 35 and 21. Jazz, 12 and a half back at 35 and 22. Grizzlies, 34 and 24, 14 back. Thunder, 32 and 25, 15 and a half back, and the Nuggets distant eighth at 25 and 31, 22 games back. Now, for the rest of the scrap pile here, it goes like this the Kings are 24 and 33 at 23 and a half back. At 24 back are the Blazers at 23 and 33. Pelicans right behind them at 23 and 34, 24 and a half back. 25 back are the Mavericks 
22 and 34. Wolves, 25 and a half back at 22 and 35. This is ugly. Lakers, 19, 39, 29 back, and the Suns, 29 and a half back, 18 and 39. Boy, that is, that is miserable. All right, NHL. Uh, hold it, let me see if I have to update this for a minute. Okay. The Coyotes lead the Kings right now, 2 nothing in the third with 18.38 to go. Uh, Sanders playing the Devils 3 nothing. Cord- uh, uh, is it, is it Condon makes 21 saves to get the win. Islanders beat uh, the Rangers 5-game losing uh, winning streak as Ladd scores two goals to give the Islanders a 4-2 win as that long heated rivalry continues. Penguins beat the Jets 4-3. Um... And Crosby scores his 1,000th point in the in the um, in his existence in an overtime win. Uh, the Sabers of the Avalanche two to nothing. Reinhardt came uh, one of the scorers in that game, and the Avalanche just continued to fall like an avalanche. Teres Vanko uh, holds on to, for the Blues to beat the Canucks four to three, and Steen also scores late as well. Uh, Krumper has stops 3-4 shots to give the Wild a 3-1 win over the Stars. McDavid um, uh, retakes a scoring lead as they beat the Criers, I mean Flyers, 6-3. All right, so standings. I think that's number 28 for uh, McDavid this season. Standings are as follows. In the Eastern Conference in the Atlantic, Montreal is 31, 19, 8, 70 points. Ottawa, 66 points at 30, 19, and 6. Boston, 29, 23, and 6, 64 points. Toronto, 63 points at 26, 19, 11. Florida, 60 points at 25, 20, and 10. Buffalo, 25, 23, and 10, also 60 points. Tampa Bay, 25, 24, and 7, 57 points. And the Red Wings, 50, um, 22, 25, and 10, 54 points. To the Metropolitan Division, that's my division, Washington continues to lead the pack with 84 points, 39, 11, and 6. Pittsburgh is 36, 13, and 7, 79 points. Columbus, 36, 15, and 5, 75 points. Rangers with that loss are 37, 19, and 1, 75 points. Still not out of reach by a long shot. Islanders, 26, 20, and 10, 62 points. Philadelphia is 61 points at 27, 24, and 7. Devils, with a loss again, now 24, 23, and 10, 58 points. My girlfriend is, uh, is not happy right now. And Carolina, 24, 22, and 7, 55 points. Over to the West. Wild, 38, 13, and 6, 82 points. I uh, got some news about the Wild in a little bit. Uh, Blackhawks, 75 points at 35-17-5. Blues, 31-22-5, 67 points. Yahoos, 21-21-8, 62 points. Winnipeg, 26-29-5, 57 points. Dallas, at 22-27-10, 
34 points, and the Avalanche is continuing to sink at 15, 38, and 2, 32 points. That's, that's humiliating. And the, and the um, Pacific, the Sharks, 34, 18, and 6, 74 points. The Ducks, 30, 18, and 10, 70 points. Uh, Oilers, 31, 19, 8, 70 points. Calgary, 29, 26, and 3, 61 points. Kings, 28, 23, and 4, 60 points. Vancouver is 25, 27, and 6, 56 points. And the Coyotes are 19, 29, and 7, 45 points. All right, we've got some hoops action here. In the second quarter, Mount St. Mary's having an easy time over Lyola Marymont, 73 to 40. Brandon Brown has 10 points, three rebounds and one assist. Jacques Landau, 16 points, 11 rebounds and two assists. I just call him Jack or everybody else. Jacques. Uh, the Zags, no trouble over San Francisco. A laugher, 96-91. Chase Foster, 15 points, four rebounds, one assist. Nigel Williams-Goss, 30 points, seven assists, and six rebounds. Arizona, easy win over Washington State, uh, 17-59. Laurie Markinen, 19 points, 11 rebounds, two assists. Ike Irago, 17 points, five assists, three rebounds. Utah, uh, Oregon over Utah, 79-61. Jace Johnson, 14 points, 12 rebounds, one block. Jordan Bell, 17 points, 7 rebounds, and 3 assists. Uh, as we mentioned, Michigan over Wisconsin, 64-58. Ethan Happ had 22 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists. Mortis Wagner, 21 points, 3 rebounds, and 1 assist. All right, scheduled for tonight, um, notable games. Uh, ooh, just got a final here. Long Beach State over UC Davis, 78-69. And that game was in overtime. Right like that. Um, excluding top 25 here. Uh, Sacred Heart over FDU. That's fairly ridiculous. University, 91-81. They can't do anything right. St. Francis, Pennsylvania over Connecticut State, 80-71. to Robert, um, Bryant over Robert Morris, 81-73. Um, Siena took Manhattan, 94-71. Vanderbilt over Texas A&M, 72-67. Mammoth uh, over Niagara, 93-75. My sister went there. Uh, to Mammoth, that is. Um, Drexel over Delaware, Delaware route over Drexel in a squeaker, 68-67. Charleston over Hofstra, 76-72. Marshall over UAB, 74-59. World Southern Miss over Florida International, 69-66 in overtime. UTEP over North Texas. 77-71. And uh, Memphis over uh, Connecticut over Memphis, 
sixty-two. That was a great. That was a game worth worth watching. And Pepperdine, oh, Santa Clara just destroys Pepperdine, one hundred six fifty-five. Grand Canyon over Seattle, sixty-one fifty-eight, and Hawaii over Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara over Hawaii, fifty-six fifty-four. Well, at least it was competitive because Hawaii isn't really competitive in any of their sporting events. They're really not. All right, women's top 25. Texas A&M, uh, LSU over Texas A&M, 67-63. Keisha Hillsman, 24 points, 4 rebounds to assist. Uh, Morris Steph, 23 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists. Indiana over Michigan, 72-61. Flattery had 23 points, 2 assists, 1 rebound. Angelina Kelly, 15 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists. North Carolina State over BC, 70-58. Dominique Wilson, 23 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists. Marlena Vassala, 20 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. Get up there. All right. Duke had no trouble with, with Wake Forest. 79-53, Leslie, uh, Lexi Brown, 24 points, 7 assists, 3 rebounds. Amber Campbell, 11 points, 4 rebounds, and 1 assist. Nebraska, no, Ohio State, 87-69. Kelsey Mitchell, 27 points, 3 rebounds, and 3 assists. Jessica Shepard, 28 points, 10 rebounds, and 2 steals. I should say the Ohio State. Notre Dame, Edges Clemson, 84-80. Marina May Maybury, 29 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists. Kobe Norton, 20 points, 9 rebounds, and 1 steal. South Carolina over Vanderbilt, 82-51. Minta Spears, 10 points, 3 rebounds, 1 assist. Elena Coates, 16 points, 7 rebounds, and 2 assists. Virginia over FLA State, 68-51. Ivy Slaughter, or Slater, 12 points, 9 rebounds, 1 assist. Dominique Toussaint, 14 points, 4 rebounds, 1 assist. Mississippi State over Georgia, 58-49. Kalia Robinson, 13 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists. Terina McCowan, 14 points, 9 rebounds, 1 assist. And we're in, we're in the fourth quarter late. Stanford and California each tied at 66. That should be a, that should be a fight to the finish right there. All right, headlines of the day. Yeah, there's quite a few because I did a lot of writing today. Oof, I will tell you. Uh, starting off with this, Jets cornerback Darrell Rivas was charged in Pittsburgh with a series of charges. Oh, you're going to love this. With aggravated assault, terroristic threats, and conspiracy steaming, stemming from a street altercation over last weekend, and two men were found unconscious when the fight was when the fight was all said and done. Ugh. As the Jets didn't have enough trouble last season, now we got this. Um, Steve Kerr is going to stay numb on the decision of whether to have Westbrook and Durant side by side in Sunday's All Star game. And by the way, Kevin Love is out for six weeks. Uh, that means he won't be in the won't be in the All Star game and Carmelo Anthony will take his place. Oh well. Anaheim Duck Center anti Anton Verdemite suspended ten games for slashing wild defenseman 
Miko Koivu, costing him $97,000, but he'll appeal the suspension anyway, like it's going to do him any good. And that goes to the safety, um, safety fund of the NHL. Okay. As I mentioned, Crosby got his 1,000th point. And it'll be new MLB Commissioner Rob Manford offering ideas to speed the length of games up. One proposal is to limit how long umpires should uh, replay angles angles before making a decision on overturning a call and requiring managers with 30 seconds to challenge a call. Yeah, 30 seconds, please. Like, that's going to happen. Yeah, be as it may. Uh, one member of the Miami Heat, Shane Battier, is now basketball developmental operations of Miami, and will evaluate talent of college players and free agents and existing members to the roster. His number one goal: what else? To bring Miami back to a championship. Yeah, not this year, buddy. Um, NC State coach Mark Gottfried has been fired uh, from the school after a loss to state rival North Carolina, and after having three blowout losses in a row, uh, there was talk that he was going that he was going to be fired after if they lost big to North Carolina State, and it has happened. Um, they're 14 and 13 overall in the year, but a miserable 3 and 11 in ACC conference play. And a search is now on for a replacement. Uh, but right now, nobody's saying anything. Um, a little note from my partner for my daytime uh, show. Um, Dallas Cowboys are expected to cut Tony Romo, thank God, as he has two or three years left on his deal as a quarterback. And Noah Snydergaard will be the opening day starter for the Mets. I don't know if that's good or bad news. Uh Magic Johnson says he would like to have Kobe Bryant in the front office, but I gotta tell you, is that really such a smart move? I mean, does he really have any business sense? As the Lakers have been in turmoil all year. Miami Dolphins to cut uh, three players, Brandon Albert, Mario Williams, and Earl Mitchell uh, to free up nearly $20 million in cap space. If you want to be exact, okay, 19.7. Sheesh. Uh, Albert was not offered a pay cut or a restructured contract before his release and two years left on his current deal. Boy, that's not good. Steelers, though, re-signed linebacker Steve Johnson to a one-year deal, but the terms were not disclosed. Anything comes up, I'll let you know uh, later on. I came up with something of local interest in my area uh, this, this afternoon, and I find it very encouraging. Um, uh, two girls have been cleared to rejoin a boys basketball team in Clark, New Jersey that's 40 minutes from my house um, after a reverse decision by church officials and the Archdiocese of Newark, New Jersey that otherwise the boys would forfeit the season if they weren't able to play with their female teammates um, CYO rules state that a league the league should only be of boys or girls not mixed together. But according to NewJersey.com, league rules um, do not do not mention that teams in the division of St. John's 
and J.D. can't be co-ed. Cardinal Joseph Tobin believes the team should not be penalized for mistakes that were made by others. So guess what, folks? Game on. And I'm proud, and I'm proud of that. Um, former NFL quarterback um, hires an agent, Lee Stripe, uh, Steinberg, in hopes of making a comeback, like, probably in the spring league. Um, I got to get that name on there for a, hang on a second here. One second here, because I think I, I forget his name right now, but I'll, but I'll get it. All right. I said I did a lot of notes. Okay, here it is, yes. Uh, Steelers, after one here, um, uh, Vince Young, that's right. Vince Young is I going to come back for pro football. Uh, he last played for the Browns in 2013 and was cut after signing that, that moron, Johnny Manziel. And we know what a bust he was. Ugh. And the clowns uh, still continue to suffer. All right. Um, as we mentioned, the police, the uh, Michigan Police Department submits warrants for three uh, football players involved in an assault claim. Ugh. Sexual assault. Yeah. Uh, they were they, I, they were expecting more results at the end of the day, but so far I haven't heard anything more. But I'll check tomorrow. Yeah. All right. Uh, and um, first, uh, early this morning, um, Olympic sprinter Nesta Carter appeals dope ruling that cost him the 2008 gold medal. Yesterday, uh, well, on Wednesday, Carter filed an appeal, as was proven last month by the IOC, that Carter did test positive for a banned substance. And speaking of that, um, Russia will sanction its track athletes that refuse to give back gold medals uh, and the uh, officials vow to kick them off the national team until they do so. So far, only one of 23 medals have been returned as they had a doping scandal of their own and have been disqualified and the federation has been suspended since November of 2015. Over wide over widespread drug use, uh, Suns crushed the Lakers last night, 137-101. Warriors over Kings, 109-86. Thunder was over the next 116-105. It was competitive to start with, though. Uh, Calgary over the Flyers, three to one. Panthers over the Sharks in overtime, six to five. Capitals acquired Tom Gilbert from the LA Kings for a conditional draft pick. However, there is a catch: the deal hinges on the Capitals success in the playoffs and Gilbert's involvement. Kings will receive a fifth-round draft pick if the Capitals get past the first two rounds in the playoffs, highly unlikely, of course, and if Gilbert plays in at least 50% of those games or else the deal is a bust. 
You knew it would be a catch, though. Um, two more things here. Pistons were with the Mavs, 98-81. Uh, this was from the night before. Raptors over Hornets, 95-90. East Carolina over Temple, 78-64. Pirates over Creighton, 87-81. Thank you. Uh, North Carolina trounced its state rival, NC State, 97-73. That resulted in the firing. Davids over GW, 74-63. UMass over Duquesne, 96-66. Yes, it is pronounced Duquesne. Pelicans over Grizzlies, 95-91. Heat over the Rockets, 117-109. Spurs over the Tragic, 107-79. Bucks over the Nets, 129-125. Celtics were over the Sixers, 116-108. Um... Cavaliers over the Pacers, 113-104. Maryland over Northwestern, 74-64. And Cincinnati over UCF, 68-54. Um, now, you've, of course, heard of Forbes magazine. Well, they came out with their annual list again among the NBA's um, most valuable teams. And despite this atrocious season, the Knicks are still the most valuable team Worth three point three billion dollars, most largely in part due to their large to their large cable TV deal, of course. Uh, Lakers second at an even three billion. Warriors uh, two point six billion and third, thanks in part to their recent success and a new arena in twenty nineteen. Celtics two point five billion and the Bulls at two point three billion. Despite trade rumors, Jaheel Okafor is expected. Is still expected to play for the Sixers, saying that he is nearly trying to concentrate on playing the game, despite all the rumors surrounding him. Uh, Mello is expected to stay with the Knicks after the February 23rd trade deadline. But does anybody really want him? I don't think so. Kevin Plank, the CEO of Under Armour, responded to criticism of Donald Trump uh, Stephon Curry voices his concern about Plank's praises of Trump telling the Mercury News as we probably remember the last two letters of the word asset. Gee, I wonder what that, what that means. Duh. Well, you get the idea. Plank wrote in the Baltimore Sun that he only wanted to clarify on what values he and his company stand for. Only five of 11 selected NFL players made the trip to Israel as part of the Goodwill Tour only to be tarnished a program that would approve the country's image as six bowed out, bowed out due to safety concerns. Now, I can understand that, though. Um, all right, a few more, just a few more things here. Uh, there was a rumor that NC State would hire Dayton coach uh, Archie Miller, who played for NC State, but is highly unlikely. Uh, former Saints and Chargers receiver Robert Meacham serving 30 days in jail for failing to pay child support. That totals $400,000, including alimony. However, Meacham could be released if $100,000 is paid to his ex-wife. A judge ruled that Meacham owed more than $500,000 and only paid roughly half of that. And if you think it's going to be a Floyd Mayweather... Uh, Conor McGregor fight, 
Nah, forget it. No way. Um, nowhere is nowhere is nowhere closer to the old than they were than they were before. And for the record, Mayweather says that he doesn't even want to fight anymore. He says he's happily retired and isn't looking forward to fight McGregor or anybody for that matter. So sign up for you in three words. Or we Italian Americans have a saying about that, and of course we know what that is. Forget about it. I was trying. I was practicing that all day. Uh, Jets were over the Stars last night, five to two. Uh, Make that Wednesday night, and Oilers over the Coyotes, five to two. Um, yeah, that's just about it. My notes are finished. All right, gentlemen, back over to you. All right, that's going to do it for episode 206 of the Michigan Sports Truth Post Game Edition on Talk Show. But, Gino, uh, nice to have you on here. Um, yeah, it was nice to talk. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, always a pleasure. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you available next week? Yeah, I take a look at the schedule and find out when the, the Red Wings are going to get embarrassed again. I'm sure I can find some time after that. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, episode 252 on Spreaker is going to be on at midnight on Friday, unless it's pushed back. If and if it is, we'll uh, get episode that then then we'll have no podcast at all because there's nothing going on Friday night. One more one more update: Arizona leads LA three two six thirty four to go in the third period. All right, in the NHL. So. Thanks very much, Lewis. Uh, My pleasure. Until either until either Friday night or Saturday early morning on Spreaker. For Lewis Tenor and Buck Gino the Third, I'm Taylor Phillips. Follow Buck Gino the Third at Buck Gino I I I Triple I in Roman numerals. Follow me on Twitter at DT Two Phillips and like our Facebook page, The Michigan Sports Truth. Join our Facebook group, The Michigan Sports Truth. TTFN, ta-ta for now. Bon appetit. Until next time, America. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.